0: I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And guys, and I say that in the most generic style, Guys, it's a super one today. Quite special. Why? Because I am joined by two powerhouses of nutrition, both with great expertise and passion around female athletes and fitness enthusiasts. And in fact, that's the focus of today's discussion female athletes and nutrition. I'm delighted to introduce and welcome Stevie Smith, one of the lead dietitians with one of our partners, Inside Tracker. She's an experienced registered dietitian board certified in sports nutrition, with a hugely demonstrated history of working with individuals, groups, and beyond in clinical settings. She is wonderfully skilled in sports nutrition, weight management, and beyond, and has a rich history and broad perspective. Of course, Stevie brings the great backbone of truly understanding biomarkers as a tool to help people focus and hone in their nutrition needs. Equally, I'm also excited to introduce Kyla Chanel, another partner of ours, the founder and CEO of Nutrition Revolution. Kyla is a degreed nutritional practitioner and she specializes in elite athlete fueling for each unique sport and sex differences between athletes. She's one of the partners of Purple Patch and has worked with countless athletes of all levels from beginner to pro. And together, these two women, Bring unimaginable passion and expertise to the whole subject of nutrition but our aim today is to get simple to get applied. Today is just part one of a two-part bonanza and in today's discussion you're going to learn a breakdown of the three macronutrients that's fat, protein, carbohydrates and we discuss their role in your health, sports performance and of course to help you thrive in life. You'll also discover how you can measure and assess your nutrition habits, as well as the other supporting habits in your health, so that you can avoid some of the common pitfalls that athletes and fitness enthusiasts face. And finally, we're going to peel back the curtain on something that is unfortunately all too common amongst athletes. It's something called Red S. And to cut to the chase, it is the under-eating relative to training demands. Now, a lot of time, This situation is purely accidental, but the results, well, it has high consequences for both sports performance and health implications. It goes without saying, this discussion today is in-depth, but high value. And on top of it, it's really fun and accessible. Now, before we get going, I do want to remind you that I and all at Purple Patch have tremendous passion for bringing free education, everything around performance to you. But with this in mind, I would like to thank our sponsor of the show, Inside Tracker, because they are the folks that make that possible. Now, this, today's episode, is a wonderful episode to highlight our work with Inside Tracker, because our, much of the discussion today gets into some of the metrics and markers that we, as coaches and nutritionists, look at so that we can help people find their thrive. Biomarkers provide great focus to the coach and athlete. On how they should structure training recovery stress management and of course the best approaches to nutrition and any supplements that might be beneficial now when you add this to the recommendations that are provided from the teams of physiologists scientists and researchers at team inside tracker well you really have a pathway to set up and dial in your health and performance and so if you're interested in taking advantage of this all you have to do is head to insidetracker.com and you can use the magic code PURPLEPATCHPRO20. That's PURPLEPATCHPRO20, and you get 20% off everything at the store. Now, if you would like help diving into the results and the recommendations so that you can really hone in your path with some greater insights, just reach out to us at info at We can have a dialogue, and we're happy to guide you on the best resource, and we have many. You can work with myself or one of the coaches at Purple Patch, and you can lean into one of our nutritionists, either Scott or Elizabeth from Fuel In, or of course, Kyla, who's on the show today. And we can set up an additional consultation to help you in the broad perspective and help you take those Inside Tracker results and bring them to life. Okay, that's it. InsideTracker.com slash Purple Patch. Use the code PurplePatchPro20. All right, let's get back to the show. Now, In today's discussion, the meat and potatoes, we are rather chatty. It's a pretty, pardon the pun, meaty discussion, and you wouldn't expect anything less. In fact, we've broken it up into two episodes, and this in itself is a big one. And so because we're so chatty, I'm going to hold off on Word of the Week and the Squatty Update this week. But ironically, I would like to launch a fun new little section, because occasionally there's some things that I want to share that are sort of beyond the show that I think you guys would find helpful. And to be honest, I haven't even come up with a great title of this section yet. But it's sort of what's going on. What's going on in the world of my head, Purple Patch, the world of performance, etc. Some of the things that I have seen, heard, read, or written. And I think that you might like some of these things. So with this in mind, we're not going to have a big breakdown of section. But I do want to highlight three main things today. First, if you're not a regular reader of the Purple Patch blogs that we produce almost every week, I'd invite you right now to head over to the blog section of our website. That's purplepatchfitness.com. This week, we released one of the blogs around the lessons from the Purple Patch pro athletes. And it's quite interesting. We are living in a time of great stress. A lot of you guys listening probably feel that, might be struggling a little bit. Many folks are. But equally, Many folks fail to realize that in the times of stress, they're actually still typically really under control. They're actually equipped, empowered to actually leverage the stress that is facing them. And so they can move on and they can find thrive in their performance. Now, we have a proven model of folks who have consistently showcased thriving in an environment of high stress and that is the journey of a pro athlete. It's a great model for us as normals to actually leverage and learn from. You see pro and elite athletes don't hide from stress, they don't go back on their heels, they don't try and mitigate or avoid it. Instead they leverage it. So this blog outlines the lessons from some of the most successful pros that I've supported throughout their careers so I recommend that you go and have a little read of it. Secondly Andrew Huberman. I'm sure many people on this show also listen to the Huberman Lab. It's a great podcast. He's a Stanford neuroscientist, and he really is one of the leaders in performance. There was an episode recently that I recommend to you. I very much enjoyed it, and it's all about sodium. Now, Long known has it been that sodium has had a critical role in hydration for athletes. And of course, that's all been highlighted over my recent webinar with Andy Blow of Precision Hydration. But in this episode, Dr. Huberman dives into the role of sodium for brain function and performance in life, and a lot of his discussion parallels so much of the long-standing recommendations that I've been spouting on about for a long time about the importance of daily hydration to help foster an improvement in your decision making, your energy, clarity, focus, all those things that help you really be successful over the course of the workday. And so head over to Human Labs and have a serious deep dive because he goes deep into the subject. It's pretty long, but I'd recommend it, the episode on sodium. And finally, for this little section, the newsletter. We chatted earlier about stress. Now, You might not know, but Purple Patch produces a free educational newsletter every week. And this week, I am working on the upcoming sections. Now, one of those in the newsletter over the coming weeks is going to be all about redefining your relationship with stress. We're also going to talk about how you can optimize your approach to running so that you can improve your performance off the bike if you're a triathlete, and also with spring coming and the weather improving, some strategies of how you can absolutely dovetail the warming weather and the longer days to actually getting the most out of your training in a time-starved life. It all adds up to some really useful supplemental education to this podcast. And so if you're not a subscriber already, it's absolutely free. If you'd like to add to your education arsenal, all you have to do is head over to the website, purplepatchfitness.com. There's often a pop-up. If not, just head to the bottom of the page. It's absolutely free. And of course, we will never pass on your information to anyone else. Well, Barry might because he does like to keep tabs on everyone and he's not beyond a little voyeurism, ladies and gentlemen, at least allegedly. Anyway, of course, we won't share your information. But that's what I've got in my head this week. That's what comes to mind. And so we have a lot of fun upcoming, but as we dive into the meat and potatoes, I want to remind you, we are here for you, Purple Patch. And so I'm going to encourage you just before we dive into Stevie and Kyla, stop sitting on the sidelines, stop struggling for your performance, because to us at Purple Patch, you are more than a number. You are a human and we love to make humans thrive. So if you're not part of Purple Patch proper, Perhaps this is the time Head to the website Or of course reach out to the usual place Info at purplepatchfinish.com. Alright ladies and gentlemen It is that time Stevie Smith Kyla Chanel Your meat and potatoes <music> Yes, it is the meat of potatoes and it is a big one today. We've already talked all about the couple of brain trusts that are joining us today, but welcome officially both Kyla and Stevie. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having
0: us. It is going to be a round table of thunder. We are doing everything around understanding female athletes and we've spent A little bit of time in advance trying to frame this out so that mostly we keep me on track because this is such an important subject, such a broad subject. And so we're going to try and break it down into sections. You guys listening at home, by the end of this podcast, I think you're going to have a deeper understanding of the role of macronutrients amongst athletes. We're also going to talk about um, menopause and amenorrhea. We're going to talk about RED-S which is the relative energy deficient in sport, a affliction or a challenge that many, many female athletes face. And then we're gonna go a little bit more towards the mature athlete and talk about the menopause, perimenopause, et cetera. So there is a lot of education coming. So I'd say to the listeners at home, fasten your seatbelts, but I think to get going for our section one, I think we wanna ground ourselves in a more global sense around the female athlete. And uh, as I come into this, very, very clear that I am a male coach. And uh, and I have been coaching, in fact, at, at the professional level, one of the things I'm very proud of is that our history of pro athletes have been about 50% female, 50% male. But one of the things I've observed for a long time is that across all aspects of female athletics, whether it's equipment or approaches to nutrition, there was almost this shrink it or pink it approach, you know, like scale it down of what everything is both studied off of the male athlete. And so I I want to dig into some key nutritional considerations specific to female athletes. And maybe I'll go to Kyla first and I'm going to go through each of the macronutrients. For listeners at home, there's carbohydrates, fats, proteins, building blocks of life and health, etc. Narrowing focus to 50% female athletes. This first question, let's start with protein, Kyla. Why is protein so important for female athletes?
1: Well, I will start by saying protein is going to be important for both male and female athletes, for sure. <laughs> I think probably a lot of the things we'll talk about will be Obviously applicable to both sexes, but there'll be some maybe alterations we might want to make for a female based off maybe cycle phase or uh, life stage. So perimenopausal or postmenopausal as well, potentially. Um, but when it comes to protein, we do know that during that high hormone phase, or some people will call it the luteal phase. So between ovulation and the first day of bleeding, there is an increased protein oxidation. Um, so more potentially muscle tissue broken down or utilized during sport. And so we do know that there's likely, a. um, if we can in- improve our protein or really focus in on our daily protein intake and that pre and post training protein that can help potentially with the reparation process because there's that greater uh, protein oxidation during that time. And then of course, as we get older, we do see that there is a greater requirement from these external uh, stimuli to achieve muscle protein synthesis. And I think we're going to dive into that a little bit later as well in regards to strength training being a piece, but protein can be one of those uh, external anabolic stimuli to help stimulate muscle protein synthesis um, for Older athletes, men and women, but definitely um, uh, perimenopausal and postmenopausal women as well. So protein is important for your recovery.
0: And uh, uh, going off script already, at least from our framework, (laughs) protein, so you're going to have to get used to this, guys, I'm sorry, but um, protein choices, Mm. there's there's a lot of heavy emphasis around synthetic proteins, if you want to call it that engineered Mm -hmm. proteins. I'm not sure of the best word, but, um, and then real proteins. There's also a lot of decisions around combination proteins versus animal proteins. Can you talk to me a little bit, I'll stick with Kyla for now on on quality of protein choices?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to that muscle protein synthesis piece, one of the things we're looking at is really the um, amino acid leucine is a big player in that. Um, And, I think that's probably why the development of like branch chain amino acid supplements became very popular because one of the three branch chain amino acids is leucine. Um, although I'm not suggesting people go that route necessarily, but I think that's why it became popular. So we do want to focus on food sources that are rich in the amino acid leucine and provide us with a total protein dose is, is also part of the picture. We can't solely supplement with just leucine, um, as an example. So we do need all of the essential amino acids as well as enough leucine to turn down that muscle breakdown and start that muscle reparation process if we're utilizing it, uh, post training, for example. So great sources of leucine do include dairy products. So that could be your cottage cheese. It might be milk, could be Greek yogurt. Um, whey protein based powders are also very rich in leucine. And then we have, um, there are some plant based protein powders and things like that out there that will are doing a better job at getting some higher leucine content in them as well. But, um, if you do have plant-based, um, athletes, you know, wanting to utilize real food sources, you could do a combination of, um, like rice or, um, seen like rice-hemp combos and things like that to get the leucine content up a little bit greater for specifically talking about post-workout. I don't suggest like collagen protein is very popular right now. That is very low in leucine. And I see people um, utilizing that as like a recovery source and it actually isn't that rich in leucine, if at all. So not a, not a good go-to protein
0: source. It's very popular at the moment, isn't it? Across it is. uh, broader trends. What, what about Poor protein intake, and I guess bringing Stevie in here. What are some of the, the consequences of poor protein? And, and also, with your work with Inside Tracker, are there markers of that? Are there ways for, for athletes? I know it's very difficult to identify. Hey, you are low in exactly you know X, Y, and this. I'm I'm looking for a magic key, but there, there are markers that might signal that as a consequence potentially.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, Kyla brought up a lot of great points with why protein is so important. I'm just going to rewind a little bit, and I know she probably feels the same way, and so do you, Matt, is that um, also, like, zooming out and taking a look at the big picture is just, and I know we'll get into it with Red S, but overall adequate intake, too, Um, just, you know, if an athlete or individual is not just getting enough overall, they're going to fall short on protein as well as the other macronutrients. So usually when we're thinking about, you know, eating enough or getting enough of a certain macronutrient, the first place I like to start is looking at are you eating enough overall? Um, and protein typically is one of the macronutrients I see, especially female athletes, falling short on. Um, and you know, thinking about the biomarker aspect with Inside Tracker, um, you know, there are biomarkers, pr- particularly in our, you know, what is known as our testosterone group. Um, I call it the hormone group that can help uh, guide an individual or a coach dietitian working with that blood work to see if the athlete is eating enough to support their training and recovery. Um, We have it in both males and females, but specifically for our female athletes, we'll be looking at um, DHEAS and SHBG, um, a sex hormone precursor and sex hormone carrier. Um, These can help guide and indicate to see if we're meeting, like I said, our overall energy needs. Um, SHBG will be elevated. It's been elevated in uh, many research studies of um, individuals with anorexia. So this will be higher when they're not meeting the needs. Um, And DHEAS, which is a precursor to estrogen hormones, will be lower when an individual is not getting enough you know, overall intake. So it's not anything (laughs) that will particularly just be like protein. This is where, you know, coach dietitian athlete can look and say like, okay, these numbers are off. Let me take a look at, you know, how I'm fueling. Sometimes it's, um, depending on the person, you know, they might come like be honest and say, oh yeah, I'm probably not doing a great job of getting enough in after my workouts. And that's kind of where they're falling short and adjusting that can help indicate and and show us like, oh, okay, these numbers are starting to improve when we focus on that post-workout window. Um, Speaking about getting enough for recovery, there are other biomarkers that we look at that are related to muscle breakdown, muscle damage, Um, thinking particularly creatine kinase, as well as liver enzymes, ALT and AST. And while these numbers can be elevated or off for you know a number of reasons right it just might be you're in a hard training block Mm -hmm. and we would expect these numbers elevate right because that's showing a response to the training but if an athlete comes to you and those numbers are on an upward trend or consistently elevating that's where you would probably want to sit down and have that talk of okay are we pushing the training too hard or are we falling short on our overall nutrition needs to support that recovery process, that muscle protein synthesis that Kyla was speaking about.
0: I, I think that's a really nice connection you just made there where coming up a level and connecting, and uh, I always talk about the word perspective, and uh, and actually I would say as a coach, the value of coaching or the value of working with a professional nutritionist in the fact that it's never just a direct correlation. It's like let's actually take a look at the big picture. Let's look at your tra- your mm-hmm. actual training recipe, your life stresses, and then of course, pardon the pun on recipe. But then, of course, with protein, I, I want to come back to value of protein. Stevie, you said you said um, that uh, you often see female athletes fall short of protein intake and overall pro- overall caloric intake, which we'll we'll talk about uh, later in the show. But um, it's if if I go back call, now too many years and I think about growing up in endurance sports, endurance athletes, it was carb, carb, carb. Yeah, like the fuel for burning, etc. And, and the world of nutrition has changed, but protein was really o- almost sort of thought of as the the gold gym uh, macronutrient. Yeah. And um, And and so just either one of you, really, but for an endurance athlete, there is a new uh, is there a newfound understanding of the role of protein for endurance athletes? It seems to be much greater in priority focus importance than maybe even 10 years ago. Is that a fair enough statement?
2: I would say that's fair. I don't I mean, I've been in endurance sports for. Oh, wow. Um Ten years now, uh, and nutrition, as you said, was completely different back then. Um, but yeah, I I have seen you know the change in recommendations, Kyla. I'm sure you can speak to this too, of actually kind of the research showing. Oh wait, actually, protein needs are just about the same as strength athletes when we're looking at ranges. Of course, depending on the individual. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it, um, I mean, from what I've seen and, and heard as well as the protein requirements sounds like across the board are, are changing, right? That I've heard that the um, RDA standard is going to – they're looking to reassess that value, thinking it's just too low just for gen pop. Um, as well. And then we're seeing with the endurance athletes and especially the ultra endurance is that even when uh, I will say, especially so if they are under consuming carbohydrates, they have a greater protein oxidation as well. So now that protein requirement goes up even greater. So yeah, we're seeing protein requirements trending up. And then of course, in that aging um, athlete as well, perimenopausal, postmenopausal, um, we might have a greater protein requirement too than when we were younger, potentially. So to get again that um, muscle protein synthesis stimuli.
0: And and in basic terms, let's talk about the negatives. I like to build around the positives, but I do want to talk about the the negatives. We talked about the markers a little bit, but let's talk about the consequences of poor protein intake specifically. What, what, what happens when an athlete is chronically underfed around protein?
1: Yeah. So if they're under consuming protein, I think one of the, well, so many things, I mean, I will say that is I'll agree with Steve, Stevie, that when I have an athlete come to me and we do a nutrient analysis, typically the things that are low are, are, they are under consuming calories across the board and then protein is low and carbohydrates are low and fats make up a majority of their diet. Um, And so with that being said, a lot of times many of these athletes too want to improve body composition and they're not going to be able to do that very well if protein is really low. Um, And they're in a, I mean, they might be in a caloric deficit at the end of the day, but they're not supporting their lean muscle tissue, which is obviously a big player in our resting metabolic rate, Um, their ability to continue to gain strength might not be improving. For example, they might not be recovering well from their sessions. Um, so, and it also, I also add just from a satiety perspective, if they're eating enough protein too, it can be one of the things that can help with satiety. Um, so minimizing potential hunger cues or, you know, post-training going and diving into the bag of chips or, um, you know, something like that to kind of get calories back in because they're not getting enough protein to help with that satiety throughout the day as well.
0: I, I think that's really important from a from a pure coach's lens, particularly when I'm working with time-starved, you know, busy executives, and they're getting their workout in, in the morning. The first thing that I'm anchoring them around is the habit of post-workout fueling. So in other words, consuming calories immediately after the workout. And there's lots of you know, uh, I would say research, but also trains a thought over, no, it's not that important. But from a habitual standpoint, for me as a coach, it's really important. And one of the things is by getting protein in quickly, it tends to enable them, it elicits control, control over their eating habits to make smart choices. And it prevents the, the huge urges. And so we see really, really good results with people that fuel following workouts, which I think is, uh, is really, really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kyler, I, I I I think you know that I I always tend to try and isolate in my in my brain daily nutrition, so the meals that folks are eating, and then post workout fueling, pre pre workout fueling. Do you have any protein specific quick recommendations around main meals, making sure that athletes are getting it in, and uh, pre and post training?
1: Yeah, I mean for um, main meals, I would. Suggest just including include a primary protein source at every main meal. So that could be, you know, roughly about a palm size portion. It could be tempeh, it could be chicken, it could be Greek yogurt, like you name it. But um, something that's going to give you a, a, a good chunk of protein, and it is a protein dominant food source. So if you were to pull up a nutrition facts label, the primary macronutrient present in the food is is protein, not fats or carbohydrates being the leading amount. And so aiming for a bit of that at every meal. So I think a lot of people fail to do that for sure at breakfast, maybe even at lunch. And then people tend to like really get the protein in at dinner, if anywhere. Um, so it's just re- remembering to get that in at other your other primary meals of the day as well, so long as it doesn't impact your training, of course. And, and because it does increase satiety by slowing down gastric emptying rate. We don't want you burping up chicken breast or whatever at your run. So time accordingly, of course. Um, and then when it comes to pre and post training, it's kind of a similar idea, right? Is if we're training maybe early in the morning, I don't expect someone to eat an entire frittata before they go out and run. Um, it might be something smaller. Maybe it's even a little bit of, um, you know, it could be a hard-boiled egg. It could be a little bit of cottage cheese on some toast even, um, just to get a little bit of amino acids in you so long as it's tolerable, of course. And then that post-training amount should be somewhere in the range of 20, maybe even upwards to as high as 40 grams of protein, depending on the age range. Um, So that could be equivalent to, if we're talking about palm sizes, that could be anywhere from about one palm size is about 20 grams of protein. And then you would want to double that if you're on the 40 gram end range there. So if we're talking about visuals, that could be, you know, a cup uh, or two of of Greek yogurt potentially. So do you want to eat that much Greek yogurt or do you want to mix it up with some other protein source um, to get a variety there? It could be a real meal. Again, the other suggestion I tend to lean towards is I'd rather have you get Something in than nothing. So if you have to rely on a whey based shake, then do please do that instead of nothing at all um, to to kind of get that protein dose in. So for most protein powders, that would be one to two scoops most times as well. Mm-hmm. And then carbs are important That's as well, right. but we'll get there.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I can't remember if this was something that that you uh, explained to me or uh, Stacy Sims, who we've both worked with. In, um, in in the past, but the, the difference between men and females with pre-workout fueling, particularly in the morning, the importance, the greater importance for female athletes to consume calories and particularly protein pre-workout. Can you just briefly explain why that is relative to someone like me that can go out for a run and probably experience no consequences?
1: Yeah. So um, to kind of start is that so long as you're not making trips to the fridge in the middle of the night and eating some snacks, that you will likely wake up with a forty to fifty percent glycogen depleted state. So your your muscle tissue or, car- or carbohydrates stored within your muscle tissue are going to be about half full, if you will, because it supplied you through the night of sleep. Um, So we do want to get something on board, especially so if we're doing some high intensity work. Mm -hmm. So if we have intervals, tempos, sprints, um, anytime we're doing that high intensity work, we're tapping into what we call the co- glycolytic system, the body wants to really heavily rely on carbohydrates as a fuel source. And if the carbohydrates in the muscle tissue are already 50% depleted, we do want to make sure we get some of those on board. So if we can get a little bit of carbohydrates and, and maybe a little bit of, again, protein, if you will tolerate it and you have enough time to digest that, great for our female athletes. we The reason kind of being behind that is that with the female athlete or females across the board, I should say, is we have it's kind of communication cascade um, in the brain. So the hypothalamus talks to the pituitary, the pituitary then talks to our ovaries. And it's this connection of what is our brain sensing and telling, should we secrete our sex hormones or not essentially, right? And with women, we have a higher uh, percentage of these kisspeptin neurons on the hypothalamus compared to men. And these kisspeptin neurons sense stress in the body. And we we as women tend to be a little bit more prone to uh i don't want to i don't want to call it overreacting but like being a little bit more um reserved with the sensing of the stress compared to how the the male's body might respond because of the kisspeptin uh, difference on the hypothalamus so when a woman goes out and is un, not fueled, sorry, in a training session, the body senses that essentially as a stress, especially if you're trying to hit some high-intensity efforts. And the body mm-hmm. can, can kind of talk down that cascade, the hypothalamus to the pituitary, to the ovaries to kind of say, hey, I'm in a stres- stressed state. Maybe this isn't a good time to secrete estrogen and progesterone from the ovaries. Do we need to do that right now? It's probably not a good time to, to have a baby if we're sensing this external stress. So there can be some cascade communication to the sex hormones so if we you know that's just kind of one of the things we want to watch out for um when it comes to fasted like training sessions for for women
2: absolutely hit the nail on the head with that one um and you know just looking with inside tracker testing right obviously we don't test um you know, the female sex hormones, right? I mentioned precursors, sex hormone carriers that we test. You know, people always ask why we don't test estrogen levels. And that is because we don't want to make our women try and test at the same time during their cycle (laughs) every single month and DHEAS, SHBG will be stable. Throughout the cycle, Um, it's hard enough to get people to take like a couple days easy before their test, so we we don't want to throw that um, kind of curveball in there. But with a lot of individuals, I can think of um, a few clients off the top of my head. When you were talking about fasted workouts, you know, their first inside tracker test I got back, cortisol was through the roof, and you know, like that's one of the first questions when I start working with any female athlete, like. All right, what do we eat before? Do we eat before we go run? It, do you work out in the morning, first thing when you get up? And they usually always check yes. So I always see that cortisol. Always the highest cortisols are in the females with the fasted workouts, um, and it's it's always very interesting to see. And I've you know can can it's it's also nice with the inside tracker results to see over time as we start to fuel those workouts appropriately how those cortisol numbers start to drop just by that one action. That's usually the biggest thing impacting that level in those female athletes. And then, you know, obviously for us, (laughs) we think that's cool to see that number come down, but for athletes like, okay, but what does that mean for me? Better sleep, better recovery, improved performance, you know, preventing those injuries and in kind of that body breakdown so they can push themselves harder go for that BQ, whatever that race goal is, is how it usually translates to those female athletes for sure. And better body composition too, I would add, right? Yep, absolutely. And improvement, you know, they usually also have a little bit of an elevated blood sugar issue going on. We also tend to see that improve as well.
0: There you go. That's, uh, that's always counterintuitive or at least an emotional part of it. And talking of emotion, I want to move on to the next macronutrient, uh, carbohydrates. Because I can thinkly, I think I can safely say that female athletes should not be afraid of carbohydrates. And and obviously, uh, over the last several years, there has been a propensity for that to occur across athletes, of looking at carbohydrates as an athlete as a bad thing. And uh, and so, Kyla, it's you, you're up again. I'd, I'd love you to <laughs> Uh, to start at the high level, the role of carbohydrates yeah, and why they are important.
1: Yeah. So again, this will apply to, to males as well, just to the sense that in endurance sports, carbohydrates are, you mentioned kind of back in the day, it was carbs, carbs, carbs. That was probably great. <laughs> that that's great because I think right now we see when athletes come to us, they are under consuming carbs for the amount of effort they're putting in and and um, asking of their body on a day to day or weekly basis, they still are under consuming carbs, and that might be because of the popular diet trends right now, like the keto and stuff like that, or or really um, you know lower carb paleo is very popular, and so I think people have this carb fear, even as athletes. Um, and again, if you are doing high intensity training, your body really should have some carbs on board. If you're doing these long distance, um, rides or races, if you want to prevent hitting the wall or that bonk, you know, making sure you have adequate glycogen stores or carbohydrates stored within your muscle and delaying that fatigue is, I mean, that's how you're going to, you're going to do that. Um, carbohydrates, I think too, we get like I think when we mention carbs, people right now are probably thinking of like Starbucks, you know, muffins and donuts. And um, I think many times we have to remember too that carbohydrates are like broccoli is a carbohydrate and carrots are carbohydrates and beans are carbohydrates and oatmeal is carbohydrate. And so these things are great for giving us um, antioxidants and anthocyanins, which also are a big player in helping the body recover, we're putting a lot of stress on our systems during our training session. So if we can get colorful fruit and veg into the diet, that can help. And those all come from carbohydrates. Um, and then of course they also contain fiber and fiber is a great, um, player in supporting our gut microbiome, which is where a lot of our immune system resides. And that fiber gets broken down by the gut bacteria, creates these short chain fatty acids and that, and in turn, uh, produces an anti-inflammatory byproduct, which is of course great for helping that GI health. So I know a lot of people have endurance athletes specifically and runners more so I think have GI issues. And so that can be one of those things you want to make sure you include, but time accordingly, of course.
0: You, you, you brought something up there. I'm going to go to Stevie on this. And, um, again, I'm off script a little bit, but tell me if I'm incorrect in this, but, but, we can almost categorize carbohydrates in three big buckets, okay? at On one end, you've got your fruits and vegetables and, and highly nutritious carbohydrates, and then you've got your sort of building blocks, your starchy carbohydrates, and um, uh, whether that's oatmeal and uh, and pastas and rice, et cetera, et cetera, and quinoa and amaranth, and then you've got the high sugar and uh and that includes sports products gels blocks etc etc can we give a really simple really accessible guide to female athletes over the role of each of them because as an athlete they all do have their place is that fair enough Mm
2: -hmm. yeah fair enough of course uh will definitely vary depending on the individual, what their training load looks like. Um, You know, I very much believe in all foods fit um, and we can make it work with our training. One thing, obviously getting color or fruits and vegetables, I usually just term it all color, um, is definitely important. Um, Depending on the training, timing matters, right? Just kind of like you don't wanna eat a a frittata or a quiche before you go run you wanna make sure you're timing out those fruits and vegetables appropriately before our workouts, around our workouts, definitely should be included. But during our high training volume, our high training load, I see a lot of female athletes uh, getting very focused on salads and I encourage them to uh, shift away from salads (laughs) during those high training volumes because while this color, these fruits and vegetables are great, they also take up a lot of space and a lot of volume in our stomach. And they, it's the satiety, right? It's the fiber. So it's taking up that space. So we're getting fuller faster and it can lead to female athletes falling short on protein, like we spoke about earlier, as well as a lot of those good nutrients that we'll find in those starchy or complex carbohydrates. so I, I encourage during high training blocks to shift that to like a quarter to a third of your plate, if we're putting it very simply, and put those starchy, complex carbohydrates to half of your plate because we still do need those carbohydrates. And as Kyla mentioned, we're going to get all of those um those nutrients to support gut health, the fiber, the antioxidants, et cetera, from those complex starchy carbohydrates. And then to kind of complete our meal plate, making that quarter, other quarter or third protein, depending on the individual. Um, And then those simple carbohydrates that you you mentioned, um, you know, depending on where the athlete is and the life cycle, the life stages, will change up how we're using those simple carbohydrates you know perimenopause in menopause we want to be a little bit more calculated when we're using those simple carbohydrates if we do include them um but for all other female athletes especially if we're experiencing some sort of like gi distress during our workouts looking how we can find different types of those simple carbohydrates to leverage as fuel that we tolerate better so we still are fueling and i say that in i'm thinking of the female athletes who are like oh well i can't can't drink any sports drink or i can't take any gel okay what are some simple carbohydrates that are from like natural air quotes, natural sources. I don't know. I I always love to use that terminology. Um, You know, can we use dates? Can we use like raisins? Can we use like make I have a lot of athletes who make like little homemade white rice, little bites and bars. So how can we leverage those simple carbohydrates? Because they don't have as much fiber is those complex star- or starchy carbohydrates. So it's not going to slow down digestion while we're exercising um, and help set us up so we're going into these workouts and performing in these workouts well-fueled, but eliminating that potential for any GI upset.
0: One of the most common things I see <laughs> with female athletes is that real fear of, uh, of the last two that I, that I put in there, the more complex carbohydrates and, uh, and of course the sugars, and you mentioned that. So Kyla, make your case of, of shifting. If someone is really active, someone is exercising every single day for at least 50 to 60 minutes. And, and obviously endurance athletes often do much more than that. Yeah. You build a case of why just the, just the quote low carb uh, fruits and veggies are not the solution for them? I mean,
1: yeah, they're not going to last. I mean, the athlete themselves, they're not going to last. They're going to feel burned out. They're going to feel under-recovered. They're going to feel lack of motivation to train. Um, I mean, the sessions are going to feel really challenging. And they, I mean, there's some extent where they sh- they should feel that way, but we should also be able to recover and replenish from them. They're gonna be craving carbs. They're gonna be craving um calorically dense stuff if they're not getting enough carbs. So I think the you know, the try not to fear carbs is isn't like, you know, easier said than done, I think, for a lot of people. But talking about that timing piece and the three categories you broke down, I I I love that. I think that's great. You have the veggies, you have the starchy carbs, and then you have the the more processed carbs. Maybe that's the fueling products, right? And thinking about um, how that that's essentially our um, glycemic index, right? Is these uh, sports food products. These are very high glycemic. Then we have the moderate glycemic sources. So maybe that's some of our starches. And then we have low glycemic, which is the the veggies, the fruits, things like that. And there's, of course, some variation in there. But if we think about it that way, it's timing these higher glycemic things in and immediately around your training sessions because of what's that that's going to do to your blood sugar. And then outside of these training sessions, can you focus more on if it's a big training week, maybe you're really just honing in more on the moderate and consuming less potentially of the low glycemic. Um, And then if you think about base training phase, stuff like that, maybe off season, then you're really prioritizing that low glycemic stuff and you probably don't need any of the high glycemic stuff, right? So it's just kind of shifting the, uh, consumption and amounts of these higher or low glycemic things. I mean, you really don't need, say you did a big training, uh, session in the morning. You really don't need to eat a bunch of, um, gels at dinner, right? <laughs> like you do not need that. Um, do you want to have some brown rice and quinoa, like grain salad? Sure. Like that's great. Throw in some veggies in there, but you don't need the, or Starbucks muffins or things like that, you know, far outside of training because. Of what that's going to do your blood sugar, and you're because you're going to go to bed, or you're not going to train again later. You don't really need that big spike in blood sugar um, later that day. Do you need the carbs? Yes, you do need the carbs, but you don't need to kind of ride this blood glucose roller coaster throughout the whole day. That's not fun either.
0: So, so I've, I've got to move on to this subject because uh, I think it's important. A trendy word that that is around at the moment. Uh, for, for both um, women generally and female athletes and also men as well. But it's, it's, let me frame it like this, the power of boosting your energy and metabolism via intermittent fasting or fasted workouts. I know the answer, but I'll still ask the question like this, <laughs> a good or a bad idea?
2: I mean I, I mean, I know we're all in the same boat, but definitely a, a bad idea for sure a hundred percent and just going back to our previous conversation um you know what Kylo was mentioning with the hormone response right especially in you know we're talking about focusing on females um thinking about like okay your body is going to be like all right we recognize stress so we're we're not gonna release these hormones like we should and if now you think about if you wake up and do that five six seven days a week how that will impact um, your body as a female overall because most people who do fasted workouts are on board for fasted workouts all of the time and then throwing in you know the cortisol factor that i mentioned earlier increasing um the stress levels in the body you know i see it with intermittent fasting and the under um, so it's a it's a hard no for me <laughs> Over here. Kyla, I don't know yeah. if you have anything you want. <laughs> I would
1: echo Stevie on that one. Um, and then I would also add to that too is that I think many times um, I've seen where athletes will come to me and the coaches programming a specifically fasted training session into their programming. And I know that there's there can be a time and a place based off of the training season potentially for these tools to increase "Quote unquote metabolic flexibility and fat oxidation, but when it comes to women, when we look at the literature, there is a great review that I, um, I think I presented at the Inside Tracker webinar, but where they gathered together all the different types of uh, training to increase, you know, fat oxidation and metabolic flexibility, and what methods actually were effective in actually improving performance and." not just was there only one of the methods that was effective at improving performance but all of the studies were done on men there was not a single woman included in any of this i mean i'm talking like hundreds of studies um and so mm-hmm. i think that's an important piece too is like if the female athletes are doing this to increase this metabolic flexibility I don't know that we have the research to support that to suggest that's a good idea. But then I would also add that women across the board will always oxidize a greater percentage of fats than men naturally at submaximal efforts anyways. So we're already really great at uh, oxidizing our our fat sources. So to do intentional types of training to increase that, I don't know that that is necessary. Um, And I think that's, to why we see a lot of women as they get older as well, like being really successful in like ultra endurance sports because they're really great at going back and forth from the fuel sources.
2: Yeah, and just um, something to add to that too, kind of circling back to our earlier discussion and zooming out a little bit, is that most female athletes aren't getting enough energy overall. So then when we add in fast workouts, that's just another drop in the bucket Leading us towards low energy availability. Just a little, little mm-hmm. zoom out there.
0: Can, can, can I, can I go down one small rabbit hole really briefly? And and I wish I had the, uh, the research study that that I could have sworn I I saw, but I it, off the top of my head it might have been actually via Ross Tucker in South Africa, but I, I I might be wrong on this, so I will get it and put it into the show notes. But I did see some research around the potential benefits of intermittent fasting for. This is non-athlete. This is just regular females going through perimenopause, menopause, and, and body composition. Are you guys aware of that at all, or is there is there anything around that, or am I missing the boat on that?
1: I have heard conversations in that arena. <laughs> um, I don't know that I could speak to it very like I I I don't know that I could cite the study like you're saying um, and what was going on. I do know that not necessarily perimenopausal, but I do know that not necessarily intermittent fasting, but a lower carb diet can be beneficial for like women with PCOS. And there's certain exceptions um, there, but when it comes to the intermittent fasting, possibly there's a blood sugar component that they're looking at. Maybe I'm not sure I'd have to, I'd
2: have to read the study myself. Let's cite it and check it out. (laughs)
0: Let's cite it and we'll
2: check it out. Yeah. Yeah, I would be interested to read it. I have not come across that because usually if I'm being 100% honest here, um, I don't tend to practice that anyways, so I haven't looked into it.
0: <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, let's um, let's come to the third macronutrient, which we are going to spend just a couple of minutes on, uh, which is obviously fat. Uh, I'd, I'd love for um, – oh, what well, shall we keep with Kyla? Why not? let's let's do this briefly in the in the bigger picture of what we're looking to get accomplished today but the role of fat for the endurance female athlete yeah and so globally
1: yeah fats will be one of the the carriers where we can get some of our fat soluble vitamins um which are also some of our um antioxidants so those are going to be really beneficial when we're talking about um, enhancing our recovery and adaptation to sport um And then they're going to be great for our immune system health. Uh, Talk about joint health. We talk about, um, you know, fat sources, omega-3s, pro-inflammatory versus the omega-6, or sorry, anti-inflammatory versus uh, pro-inflammatory omega-6, you know, getting those types of fat sources in to help manage maybe inflammation, stress management on the body, um, even muscle adaptation. There's, I mean, there's doing so much research on the benefits of omega-3 use, which is great. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, for an athlete, I mean if we can make sure we're getting a variety of fat sources, but I again I think many times when I look at a lot of the diets of my athletes, m- many of them are actually overconsuming fats and actually overconsuming saturated fats. So, I know coconut oil is like a hot trendy item right now. Um and that is very rich in saturated fat and if we think about the suggested intake for saturated fat typically being at 10% or less of your um um, oh goodness, 10, help me here, Stevie. Ten percent or less of your caloric um, overall yes, energy. Thank you. Needs. That's or what I'm trying to ten. say. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, thank you. you. So if you think about like a two thousand calorie diet, that's one tablespoon I think of coconut oil a day. And that covers all your saturated fat for the whole day. So I think mm-hmm. many times um athletes are over-consuming fats across the board, and then vast majority coming from these saturated fat sources, which I'm sure Stevie can talk about how that affects our mark, our lab markers, um, and how we can potentially adjust those lower, but shift some of those ratios to help improve whether it's inflammation,
2: lipid markers, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Stevie. Yeah
2: yeah absolutely i 100 percent agree with you on the coconut oil piece there and i know um ashley reaver our lead nutrition scientist at inside tracker always says that whoever came up with the marketing for coconut oil is one of the smartest people ever because they must be very rich um but yes so you know this particularly we'll see the saturated fat intake um in the lipid group or the cholesterol levels that we'll see in a lot of our users at inside tracker and of course when it comes to the lipid panel and cholesterol there is a genetic component right some people have high cholesterol because their body is producing more cholesterol um, that just means they tend to have to work a little bit harder to get those levels optimized unfortunately uh, but i have seen you know one of the first questions i ask is okay do you use coconut oil if you're ldl or you air quotes, bad cholesterol is elevated. I'll look at that and most people are like, oh yeah, I use it all the time. Just like throwing gobs in their coffee or like cooking all their food in coconut oil. And you know, well coconut oil is better in some baked products. If somebody is struggling with those LDL levels, um, looking for swapping for some of those unsaturated fats, um, it's a great way for the athlete to kind of uh, be on top of things with their blood work before it becomes an issue to make sure we're also shifting um, our fat intake to increase our HDL cholesterol or our good cholesterol and get that protective effect of our good cholesterol levels there. Um, You said, of course, that will play a role in inflammation levels um, and, you know, especially for endurance athletes, you know, anything that we can shift in our intake and what we're doing with our kind of go 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 hard training lifestyle to keep our inflammation markers um you know optimized within kind of that ideal range um if that means we're subbing coconut oil for avocado oil or olive oil i think that's a pretty easy um switch because those higher levels of inflammation of course you know play into chronic disease risk but also as an athlete play into your risk for injury so it's kind of looking at that whole picture and going back kind of to our friend carbohydrates those athletes that tend to be afraid of those complex starchy whole grains beans quinoa amaranth etc we can also see this showing up in the lipid panel with um you know, higher total cholesterol, higher LDL cholesterol, because they're not getting that good soluble fiber to help their body, you know, get rid of excess cholesterol from the blood.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It's all connected. <laughs> can, can, can I ask one very short question that just uh, sparks my my memory with the, the relationship with fat, and maybe I'll divide it with over 40s, under 40s, and this is almost a yes-no question, but do you see... A difference in females that are that are less than forty that haven't grown up with how I got imprinted when I was young, low low fat, low fat, low fat. Do to, to the older generation, if you want to call it that, like me, uh, have a, a different relationship and approach to fat relative to younger, where it's you know maybe more prone to trendy flat fats, if you want to call it that, like the coconut oils, et cetera? Is there any difference, or or everyone's mixed in now?
2: I mean, I see a difference, a hundred percent, right? I just when you say that, I think of my mom not to throw her <laughs> under the bus, she's been using Inside Tracker as long as I have, six years, and every time I see her blood work when it comes back, I'm like, mom, more healthy, more of those unsaturated fats, more, more, more. So she's always been like a little bit more reserved and hesitant with it, where I'm like give me that whole avocado, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, do, I do see that a lot. And I think it's not intentional. I think it's just, like you said, growing up or just living in that environment. Yep, it's all in the, the subconscious there. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. Let, let's move to hydration uh, just to wrap it up because I think this is important. And let me preface this. We don't need to do a whole deep dive into hydration. But hydration is critically important for athletes. And we know that, understand. It's also, in my opinion, really important throughout daily life to help with immune system, cellular health, clarity, focus, energy levels, control of eating, all of that. Is there anything specific that female athletes need to understand about the the role of hydration for them? Any differences with the female athlete, Kyla?
1: I would just kind of have athletes, female athletes hone in to – getting, and I know this is challenging, especially for our runners, but, uh, bringing a bottle with you, setting a timer on your watch, kind of reminding you to drink. There is some research to suggest that the kind of, um, the brain kind of reminding us or telling us that we're thirsty is a bit delayed specifically in that high hormone phase. And then definitely in that perimenopausal to postmenopausal life stage as well. So there's potential to under consume fluids definitely uh, during training or even outside of training during those times. And so if we are under consuming fluids, are we potentially increasing our um, ability to control our core temperature? Are we more prone to overheating? Um, things of that nature. So I think it's important that we do really stay on top of hydration during those phases of our cycle or life stage. And of course, if we are better managing that core temperature, um, because that is also slightly elevated during that phase of our cycle. So our, our tolerance to heat is a not, um, is a bit delayed in a sense. So our ability to sweat and cool ourselves might be affected. So trying to stay on top of that fluid management, again, during those phases to manage and and minimize any likelihood of of overheating and and maintain your performance essentially will be important for women.
0: Okay, so I want to keep the discussion on nutrition, but but I don't feel like, I, I don't think we can go through a discussion on nutrition without actually talking about a parallel component, which is strength training. I believe as a, as a coach that all human beings are designed to move heavy things. I think that for endurance athletes, strength training is absolutely critical, a key component for performance enhancement. People always think about it as just, you know, injury prevention, but for performance enhancement, I think endurance athletes should engage in strength training and everything that falls under, under that. But, um, With this, I also believe as a coach, it should be an absolute non-negotiable for female athletes. And so let's start with Kyla, but can you explain why strength training is so important? And if you want to tie it back to nutrition, you can, but why is it so important?
1: Yeah. So for, I mean, for all athletes and female athletes and female athletes, as we age, we do require again, that greater external stimuli to get, muscle protein synthesis or muscle building, right? Because we don't have, as we get older, of course, the we don't have that anabolic estrogen as prominent as it was when we were younger. So, and estrogen is similar to testosterone in men in the sense that that is an anabolic, a muscle building hormone. And that is something that's going to taper off through perimenopause and into menopause. So we need some other ways that can stimulate that muscle growth. And we know that strength training is one of those ways. And we know that protein in your diet is one of those ways.
0: There is a common perception when it comes to body composition that people try, not just female athletes, people try to run their way to glory. In other words, bone meal calories on the treadmill, the elliptical and the bike, et cetera. Can you explain the role of strength training when it comes to body composition as well? Because I think it's a really important component, yeah?
2: So
1: strength training when it comes to body composition is going to be one of those things that's going to help us retain and or build our lean muscle tissue, right? So if we can have more muscle tissue, muscle tissue is that thing that is going to be actually more metabolically expensive. So it's it actually – costs more energy for our body to actually keep muscle tissue on us, which can be a good thing, meaning we have a higher resting metabolic rate, meaning we can tolerate more calories at rest, but also muscle tissue acts as a great glucose sponge. So um, there are these GLUT4 receptors in the muscle tissue. So when we consume carbohydrates and it elevates our blood sugar, there's a place for it to go or more of a place for it to go essentially. So helping um, with our blood sugar response and then of course our body composition and our just overall caloric expenditure during the day is going to be one of those things why it, why it is important to keep that lean muscle on and and continue to do our strength training as we get older. And now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now we should yeah, don't delay, don't delay at uh, Stevie anything to add around strength training?
2: No, I think I think Kayla hit it all.
0: Perfect. Let's uh let's go on to the next big subject, we've so far we've highlighted basically our our sources of, of calorie. We've talked about strength. We obviously led it all with a a nice pint of beer, no hydration as the final component. But for the last part of this part one episode with us, I want to talk about red S. So that is relative energy deficient in sport. Now, as a coach, one of the things I say to all endurance athletes is the most common thing that I see as a coach. Is for both male and female athletes accidentally quite often but under fueling or under eating relative to the demands of their training i think that that is absolutely endemic across endurance athletes um for for you guys that do not know red s so S, as I mentioned, is relative energy, energy deficient in sport. So it's a syndrome of poor health and declining athletic performance that happens when athletes don't get enough fuel through food, of course, to support the energy demands. Wow. So I guess the first question, and uh, I'll go to Stevie first on this, is how common is it for you guys to see female athletes underfueling relative to their training demands?
2: Uh, kind of as you already let in with, I would say the majority of my athletes are underfueling to, of course, to some degree, right? Some mm-hmm. people are, you know, further down in the low energy availability than others. But I think it's very common and often unintentional.
0: That's that. I think that's a really important component, isn't it? It's often unintentional because the first thing that people think is, oh, eating disorder is actually and, and they can do. Real damage, I guess, can you, maybe Stevie staying with this, what, what, what percentage of these athletes, if we say, wow, this is absolutely one of the most common things that we see, what percentage are at least in danger of sort of slipping into a more clinical condition?
2: I don't have a percentage for you. <laughs> That's okay. I don't know if Kyla does anything from a study off the top of my head. I don't know if I have a percentage. Um, and I also think it depends on The the specific sport, like if we're thinking about collegiate high school runners, cross country, et cetera, versus the, uh, you know, more middle aged adult who's participating in endurance sports, I see probably more in the younger athletes, but that just could be because of who I'm working with and exposed to. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Kyla. Yeah, I don't know that I
1: have had, I have a statistic off the top of my head to, to, to share, but I do know that I, when I've read some of the studies, it's pretty alarming. The statistics that are out there, um, from what I recall, and I would agree with Stevie too. When I get many of my athletes in here and we do an analysis, it's a vast majority of them are under fueling, and I, I think too that may or may not be more common potentially in runners. I do think that there's that suppression of appetite more commonly so in runners post training and, um, maybe they're listening to their body in a sense, and they're just not hungry because the GI is upset. Um, so then they don't eat for a period of time and, you know, it's kind of that, almost that intermittent fasting. If they didn't eat breakfast, then they trained and now they're not hungry. Then they don't eat that post-workout. And now they're not eating till lunch. It's in a sense, some form of almost intermittent fasting, if you will, and can get you into some, mm-hmm. some trouble, right? When you're just not getting enough calories at the end of the day.
0: So, so we, you know, at Purple Patch, we always say, "How do you get someone, an athlete, an elite athlete, an everyday person, to accelerate to improve?" And it's always a smart training program that actually fits with life, so it integrates into life, coupled with strength and conditioning, really important as we talked about, all supported with this platform of high-quality nutrition, in terms in, including how much and when and what you're eating, and then that component of recovery. With that in mind, we have this challenge uh, a, a large percentage of female athletes across the spectrum underfueling relative to energy demands. Carly, can you maybe talk about what, what do you think some of the common habits that you see? You talked about the sort of circle of um, the vicious circle of. GI distress and other components that cycle through. But is there a, a mindset that we need to break first before we even get into the actionable steps? Is there common sort of mindsets that you see? It's like you need to break that, or or habits that you hear where it's like that is something that we just need to evolve. If you're going to get through this as a, as a group, as a population, of athletes, how do we help break the mold? Let's first understand the mindsets and the habits.
1: Yeah, I think many times a lot of the athletes that I work with, and I'm sure Steve, you probably see this as well Is like, there's, there's a lot of type A athletes, (laughs) endurance athletes out there. And, um, and with that, I think that there's that thought that, okay, I'm like going really hard in my training. I'm going to hit X, Y, Z. And they love a plan and are really great at following a plan. And then they have this like overarching kind of maybe I don't don't know if it's media or what, but that they have to also now eat very healthily. And that means, you know, avoiding maybe some of like the toasts and the breads and the things that could give us these additional calories and carb sources. And they're really filling up on this example, Stevie mentioned is like lots of salads. And while salads are great for antioxidants and fiber sources, they are of very low caloric value typically, and definitely low carbohydrate value, which is one of those primary things we will need as an endurance athlete. And so I think a lot of times I see that with my athletes who are under fueling, they're just loading up potentially on a lot of like what they think are quote unquote healthy foods. And maybe they really are, but they're getting too filled up on those things and they don't have enough time in their day to literally eat the the calories they need. And so I think it's shifting that you can still get in these healthy things, but carbohydrates are okay. And that there's a time and a place for them to help support what you're asking of your body. And almost right away, when we make those shifts with athletes, they notice an improvement in their training session, how they feel afterward, their cravings, their energy throughout the course of the day. Like it's, it's an immediate thing that they can notice. They just have to kind of dive in and do that and make those shifts. Um, and then, of course, like if they're eliminating entire food groups, that can also be an area where we want to kind of look into. So if someone is maybe celiac, they might just cut out really like all sources of carbohydrates, which they don't need to do, but it, they might be out of fear or something like that. And so just finding things that can work for individuals to kind of, again, break maybe some of those habits or, or mindsets that they have associated with those things that maybe are putting them in a hole.
0: It, it's it's fascinating with Professional athletes or athletes that are doing high load training, you know, a lot of hours per week. One of the things that we always talk to them about is it's actually really emotionally quite challenging and practically challenging to get the calories in. Like it's a real mind twist because you just feel like you're almost, you know, you're just eating all day. It's yeah. it's really, really challenging. And and then the second thought that, that I sort of noticed there, where you just really eloquently put it, is When an athlete gets it right, they have all of these almost immediate, like, cascade of positive feelings. But when they're getting it wrong, it is those feelings that promote a bit of a desperation of, well, maybe I need to cut out this. Maybe I I just need to eat cleaner. So you start getting into the vicious vicious cycle. So the paradoxical solution is is exactly what, what athletes don't want to are very hard to take is i need to eat more and i need to eat more frequently quite often and uh and, and it, it, it's a it's a real emotional and understandable challenge in many ways yeah um, yeah i find that fascinating so I'd, I'd, i i want to look for some of the symptoms and the markers and and let's see if i can do this let, let me see if i can frame the question correctly here because i think that there are maybe Steve, some some biomarkers that we can understand of what is happening that we can see as red flags, but also Mm -hmm. without looking inside, just from the outside, what are some other components that are red flags? And I wanna separate them into two buckets because you've got performance and Mm -hmm. how you're feeling, how you're adapting, how your performance is. And then you've equally got health. And functional health as a platform of health. Now, I believe performance is built on a platform of of overall health. But can you maybe let's collectively try and break these down. Let's start with the performance. What are some of the things that can act as red flags on performance? And if you want to get into the biomarkers that you can see inside, I think this is a great venue to do so.
2: Yeah. So some of the signs, of course, decrease performance, which is very general, right? But you'll also see that with decreased muscle strength, um, decreased coordination, mood changes. Um, I know Kyla briefly mentioned people feeling burned out, not motivated to get in their, the, the training. Those are some of those outside signs that it could be related to under fueling. Um, sleep disturbances are another one. I know I mentioned the mood changes, you know, depressed mood, anxiety, those feelings can all be indicators and signs of underfeeling. When we look at biomarkers, some of the ones I mentioned earlier, of course, in the females, um, when we're looking at hormones, um, DHEAS, SHBG, Cortisol can also be elevated with under going back to our earlier discussion as well. But we can also, of course, see nutrient deficiencies. Um, you know, if you're not eating your, you know, meeting your overall energy needs, you know, we talked a lot about macronutrients, but a lot of athletes forget about micronutrients and that the demands of, we ask of our bodies, we also need you know, more micronutrients than the average bear, as I might say, Um, you know, some of the top ones and inside tracker that we look off, look at off the top of my head, vitamin D uh, Mm -hmm. is a big one that I see a lot of athletes deficient in female athletes, ferritin, um, the stored form of iron, looking at that, that usually tends to be low, we might also see B12 deficiency too. And some of this you know, could also be related to issues absorbing these nutrients because under fueling can cause GI issues and, you know, even stress can cause GI issues or if they have higher levels of inflammation markers that can, you know, impact also our gut health as well. So it's kind of, you know, everything's interconnected and depending on each individual athlete, you know, they might have one or two of those signs, and maybe three of those biomarkers might look a certain way. Um, but there are a number of indicators that can help. You know, guide an athlete coach, athlete dietitian to um, perhaps underfueling. That unintentional underfueling can be creating these issues.
0: Mm. Um, Kyla, do you want to add anything there? That that was pretty comprehensive, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would, the, what I always mention to my clients is that they think of calories, right? And that these are all, I mean, calories are energy for our body. But like Stevie mentioned, these are the building blocks to do things in our body, build your tendon and ligaments to repair the muscle tissue. And so if we are under consuming total calories, that just sets us up for potentially under consuming. B12, for example, or under consuming total protein. And so if you think about lack of energy, the body is going to respond in any way that it can to kind of find balance and continue to survive and do the things you're asking of your body, right? So if it wants to suppress the production of uh, digestive enzymes, because that's just what your body chose to do, or maybe it doesn't want to build up as much bone because that costs energy and it wants to save it for your workouts that you're trying to do, or maybe again, menstrual cycle issues. So changes in your menstrual cycle or loss of the menstrual cycle. So your body is going to find ways to, to meet the needs and like meet you where you are to continue to survive.
0: I, I think that's wonderful. I always talk about people always talk about adaptations with training stress Mm -hmm. and we always say your body will adapt it's just whether it's a positive adaptation or a negative adaptation in many ways that's exactly the same here your body will react Mm -hmm. to this under fueling but it's going to it's going to compensate in areas that then have a cascading effect so i guess that's a good gateway to get into overall health components, immune suppression and, uh, and bone you mentioned, menstrual cycle, which we're going to do a whole nother episode on, I know. What, what are some of the, the global health red flags of this? Because ultimately, <laughs> I, I don't really care how fast someone goes, ultimately, if it's really, if they do it at the expense of, of their health. And so what are some of the, the red flags or the symptoms around health, Stevie?
2: Yeah, um so like I already kind of mentioned um the GI upset are are is something we definitely see a lot around health. Um you know, depending on the age of the athlete, like growth and development, especially for younger females, you know, you think of the runner who, you know, doesn't get her period because she's been so thin and under so for so long in her high school career. Um Of course, you can, you know, immune system health, um, going into menstrual function, bone health, endocrine health, metabolic health, um, anemia risk. There's just basically everything, right? And (laughs) no female athlete, especially younger ones, really um, want to hear that, um, that it can impact basically every body system. Um, And of course, everyone a little bit differently. And there is also, um, I know I mentioned anxiety, depression, you know, there is also research on the psychological impact of low en- energy availability as well that a lot of people look over. Um, that's just kind of a high view. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if Kyla has anything more specific. Um, And I, you know, do like to also preface before I toss it over to her, that there is research that red ass can impact men as well. And they can also have hormonal consequences. I know this is female focused, but I just wanted to throw that out Mm -hmm. there for the guys. Yeah, Yeah, that's important. Yeah, I mean I think there can be a cascade component
1: there too and and like Stevie mentioned it can be different for different athletes. Like I might have an athlete who's underfueling and her hair is just getting thinner or I've had athletes where they came to me and they were consistently underfueling and they were getting a stress fracture every single year they raced. Um so each person's going to respond a little bit differently. Um you know, my client who was getting stress fractures was having a regular menstrual cycle without an OCP. So you know, it, it is unique to each athlete. And I think it's kind of looking in and understanding, you know, all these different markers. And like Stevie mentioned, if we don't have enough energy coming in, it, it, the body's going to adapt one way or another. And it could be menstrual cycle related, it could be bone, GI. I mean, you name it. I think too, with uh, underfueling, there can be some issues with lipid markers. Um, So elevations and actually that uh, bad cholesterol potentially in those that are actually under fueling is something to keep an eye on as well for the cardiovascular purposes.
0: I think that's that's important. It's a bad lipid profile isn't just remove the eggs from your diet or whatever, you know, saturated fats. Um, uh, My last question on this, my last question of the day is Red S, does it only affect athletes who appear underweight?
2: That's a hard no (laughs) from both myself and Kyla. Yeah, it's just the same with eating disorders. There is no certain look or size or shape or number on the scale. You can be impacted by this and not look like someone who has any issues um, with their nutrition or their intake.
0: Yeah. Is it, is it fair to say that one of the common or or a potential trait of an endurance athlete or, or a fitness enthusiast that is, you know, obsessively exercising. So having a high training load that is under fueling quite on, is it, is it common that there can be a retention of fat and loss of lean body mass as a result of that? Is that a symptom that can occur?
2: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, just one of the players being cortisol can be, you know, tends to be higher with under fueling and that will change metabolism for the body to want to store more fat. It elevates blood sugar levels and kind of, you know, talking about Kyla talking earlier when your body's under stress you know, one of the things it's, it's not going to want to do if weight loss is an appropriate goal, it's not going to want to lose weight. Um, and also, of course, cortisol is catabolic, it's going to break down that muscle. And that's where we can also see a loss of muscle map, just as an example there.
0: I, I said it was gonna be the last question, I got one more very, very uh, tactical question, actually, Stevie, because uh, with um. With purple patch athletes, this is now both male and female. One of the the trends, and I should point out, this is not purple patch athletes. This is athletes. But since we have really been utilizing inside tracker, I've seen a, a, a pretty surprising trend of pretty elevated uh, blood sugars, and uh, much higher and much more prevalent across endurance athletes than than one might expect. Is a potential component to that of elevated cortisol stress hormones coming from a variety of sources and and potentially um under fueling as well i know i know we can't identify it but basically amplification of too much stress one of one component of this could be under fueling
2: yes a hundred percent
0: super for sure i mean yeah if, if nothing else that's uh because it's not oh you just need to reduce your sugar because you've got elevated blood sugar, but that, that's a really interesting component, if nothing else and this, this is obviously today not a promotion for insight tracker, but, um, but, but there is some really insightful information, because for me as a coach, what I did with those athletes is to pause and really come up a level, and let's look at everything. Let's look at your sleep, your life stress, your training load, and of course, your nutrition and, um, mm. and going in from there. So I think that's just a really interesting signal.
2: Yeah, it's it's super interesting, and I will tell you that my blood fasting blood glucose was not optimized until I stopped training and racing full Ironman distance, and now I have no issues.
0: And I so. will say, you can do it healthy. You just got to be bold <laughs> and brave enough to not do it the way that most people are doing it, and that's why you're exactly. Purple. <laughs> thank you, Stevie. It's the best promotion ever. Thank you. I I, I just
2: did the 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 layup for yeah. you there, but. You know, Inside Tracker has been so insightful for me, you know, personally as an athlete for, for so long. And it's it's interesting to see my biomarkers when I was Ironman training and now when I train half as much. If only, um, only, only
0: you were a purple patch athlete. I can see Kyler on the video screaming, <laughs> pointing at a purple patch shirt. Because what we do, Stevie, is we integrate sport into life and build it off a platform of health. And we're the only ones that do that. We are literally—we are the Wizard of Oz. No, I'm—I'm I'm joking. But l- listen, guys, we—that—that that was pretty mind-blowing stuff. We have two big categories that I really want to get through over the coming week. We—we we will reschedule an- or schedule another time. I—I I, I asked you guys if you would do two shows. The next section we really want to get into. Um, oligomenorrhea and, uh, and amenorrhea so that that's obviously a symptom that's closely associated with everything we've talked about today. And then we want to move on to the uh, the menstrual cycle and exercise as well and uh, and 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 also perimenopause menopause. If you have time, we're going to talk about uh, hopefully getting the right coach, mentor, nutrition expert, et cetera, to help with people. But that is all for part two, which we'll do over the coming weeks but for today i can't thank you enough. so generous with your time and uh, and so insightful we're going to make sure that everybody has your guys information and links if you want to leverage inside tracker if you want to use uh, or have a consultation with kyla around anything around your health and nutrition and um, and guys thank you so much uh, for spending time for us on this uh, most important subject
1: awesome thanks for having us yeah it
2: was great to be here thank you
0: Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time staffed people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget... You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers.